You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? It's kind of chilly out there, right? <laughs> um, if you're new here today, my name is Jonas Ramos. Um, I'll be sharing the word this morning with you. And uh, if you got your Bibles, open them in the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Um, last week, Eric finished uh, chapter 1. And towards the end of that chapter, we saw uh, Paul kind of um, mention a little bit of the, some sinful practices that were uh, carried out by unbelievers. And so this morning, uh, we see that Paul is continuing that idea, the idea of um, just the human depravity and the fact that we are so sinful. And so he continues that idea, but this time he's talking to the Jews and the people that believe in Christ, the people of God in general. And so we're going to be, um, I'm going to be talking to, to you this morning about Romans 2, 2 starting from chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, from 1 through 11. God's righteous, God's righteous judgment. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice the, such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart, of, of, of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, the, of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace forever for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the great, for God shows no partiality. Let's pray one more time. God, thank you for your word again. We thank you that we, we are here this morning. I just pray, God, that you speak deep into our hearts, that, God, you will show us the areas of our lives that we, uh, we need to change through you. And just help us, Lord, this morning to hear what you have to say us, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as I said previously, <clears throat> Paul continues the idea uh, of human depravity, and at this point in time in his, in his letter, he's speaking to those who know Christ. He's speaking to those who are in the family, family of God and those who worship God because they're also um, sinners, 
And so he goes on here, uh, right at the first, in the first sentence, saying that we have no excuse for judging. And this is a topic that is very prominent. It's, it happens a lot in, um, in Christian circles. We tend to be very judgmental. And so Paul, when addressing this, he's communicating his idea to the people that he knows because he has been there too. And I believe you can rem- remember that Paul was, was a Pharisee and he's a Jew. And so when he says these things, he's saying it to the Jews and to those that believe in Christ. And he, he has been there, and so he knows his audience. He knows who he's writing to. And as far as the Jews are concerned, uh, we see in the Old Testament so many descriptions about the Jews and all the practices that they, they carried out throughout their lives. They're the chosen people, and so God had given them the law for them to follow, and so within that, there are different kinds of law that they had to, uh, to obey. And so this became this sort of thing that people would, were bo- boasting about because of following the law, because of obeying the law. They were boasting over that and judging at the others, those who did not obey uh, those laws. And so amongst those laws, we have the ceremonial law and we have the moral law and the judicial law. These are the laws that the Israelites had at the time, and they obeyed them. And there were also other practices like the circumcision, and the fasting, and all those other things that religiously, outwardly, they obeyed them, and whoever did not obey those things, they were subject to their judgment. And so Paul has been there. He knows these people, he knows the um, he knows the habits, and he knows the culture, and he knows the, everything that was going on. So when he writes, he's aware of these things. In the book of Philippians 3, 4 through 6, it says, if anyone, el- if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now you can see here that he's describing what he used to be at some point in his life. He was all this. He was a Pharisee, and and he was considering himself as blameless at the time before his conversion. And this is the situation, this is what is going on amongst the people of Israel and amongst the people who know Jesus, who who are worshiping God. And because of all this, they are judging other people, those who do not do what they do. And I believe you and I would agree that we do all these things even in, in, our, in our circles, in, in the Christian circle, these, things, these kind of things happen. We judge each other for things that we see that, does, that do not make us comfortable. When we see people violating morals that we have in our societies, our tendency is to judge them. But 
in Luke 16, 10, he says, two men went up, uh, this is Jesus. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee is standing by the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So here we see a story that Jesus told to the crowds about these two men. Okay, one of them was the Pharisee. He was a Jew. You know, he was so used to all these practices that they had, you know, fasting as we see in the description here, fasting and giving tithe and obeying all these laws. When he goes to pray and he thanks God, for being all that, for, for, for doing all that he was doing. I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. I'm thankful that I'm not even like this guy here right beside me. That's, that's judgment right there. In other words, he's saying that this guy, he's lost because he's not doing this, he's not doing that, he's not fasting, he's not giving his tithe, He's not doing all these practices. He has judged him already. He has judged him already. And the other man, in his humility, in his humility, he thanks God. And he humbles himself. And Jesus told them, of these two men, the tax collector is the one that went home justified and not the Pharisee. And if you can remember, the Pharisees were these top guys in the, in the society, right? They, were, they considered themselves, themselves the, the best ones, you know, because they, they had all these laws that, they were, laws that they were obeying. And so they considered themselves being over everybody. But Jesus tells him, he tells them that this man, this Pharisee, was not justified. He was prideful and he was judgmental. He was judgmental. So this is what Paul is addressing here to, to us this morning. He's addressing this to us. Um, and also, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so when Jesus here compares the Pharisees, he compares those judgmental people to whitewashed tombs, this is a big deal. Because if you can remember in the book, in the book of law, like in the law of Moses, there is a description of you know, various um, various ceremonies. And one of those ceremonies was, was, was the purification of someone who would touch a tomb. If someone would touch a tomb, they would have to go through a, um, a purification ceremony so that they would be pure again. And so when Jesus 
tells these people that you Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs, this is a big deal. And what was happening is people would paint the tombs in white. That way, they would look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, there was stink, there was bones, there was all sorts of things. There was filth on the inside. And so this is what Paul is addressing here. When we judge other people, we put ourselves in a position where we don't do those, we think we don't do those things, but we, deep inside of us, we do those things. And he says that we're going to be judged. We're not going to escape God's judgment because of that. We will not. Here in America, just as everywhere in the world, there are morals that people follow, right? Like, do not steal. If you steal, you know what's going to happen to you. Do not swear. If you swear, you know, whoever is around you, he knows that you, you're probably not a Christian, right? It's one of the morals. Be thankful. Now, if somebody does something to you and you're not thankful, uh, that's kind of weird, right? I helped him. He didn't say anything. That's, that's odd, right? So there are morals everywhere, including in my, in my own country. Those apply too, and there are many others too that, that, you know, that we have. But what, I'm gonna, uh, what I want to emphasize here is the fact that sometimes we, sometimes we minimize our judgments. which We tend to think of them as being nothing. We think that they don't affect our spiritual life. And that is not true. It is not true. Um, we judge, but sometimes we do exactly the same thing that we judge other people for. Um, this week I was, I was getting, I was reading, I was studying, and, and my wife was making dinner, and the kids were playing in the living room. And all of a sudden, I was trying so much to concentrate, despite all the noise with the kids and stuff. I was trying to concentrate, and all of a sudden, I hear my daughter shout, Mommy, Mommy, JJ is chewing with, with open mouth. So he, he was having a snack, right? And so my daughter saw him, he was eating, and he, he was chewing with his mouth open. And so she shouts that to her mom, and she keeps repeating this over and over again. I'm like, come on, please stop. <laughs> but I was just standing, I was sitting there trying to concentrate, trying to study. And so dinner is ready, everybody goes to, to the table, and we're eating. I look at my daughter. She's chewing with her mouth open. <laughs> And I was reading about this. I was preparing for this sermon. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> right? And so this, I'm not trying to make my daughter look bad or look judgmental at all. But this is something that we, we, we do, right? We do these things. And sometimes we go, we start like this. Um, I don't mean to be judgmental at all, but, but what comes after but is judgmental. Right? But I don't mean to judge. But, you know, this is something that happens in Christian circles. 
And so Paul is writing to us this morning saying that do not think that you're going to escape the judgment of God. Because you will not. You will not. And while we minimize this, we tend to think that it's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal. I believe in Jesus. You know, I've been redeemed by Jesus um, and I'll always be. And so this is not a big deal, right? Or sometimes we don't even do it intentionally. We judge, but not intentionally. But it doesn't, it, it's, it, even, even, even not doing intentionally, it's still judging, right? And so we tend to think that just the fact that we're justified in Christ, you know, we can do these things. We can judge and, you know, we're saved and we'll always be saved. It doesn't matter. That's not a big deal, right? We're still, we're in Christ. We're in Christ. And so um, the way I, I want to explain this is through an, an illustration about um, the education system in my country. Um, what happens is when, we, when teachers evaluate their students, when they test their students, the grades, they vary from zero to 20. Okay, so zero being the lowest and 20 being the highest. So if you get, if you're somewhere between zero and nine, that's a fail. If you're anywhere between 10 and 20, that's a pass. It doesn't matter where you are here. If you have, you know, uh, 15 out of 20, you pass. If, you're, if you have 11 out of 20, it's a pass. If you have 10 out of 20, it's a pass. It doesn't matter where you are in between there. And I think that this is, this is we tend to be like that. We tend, we tend to think about the, the, the kingdom of God in those terms. That, you know, I can, I'm saved. You know, I do this and I do that. If I only do this, oh, God is going to be merciful to me. And I, it's, not, it's not really a big deal. It doesn't matter you know, I'm saved anyway. We tend to think like that. But what I'm going to say this morning is either you're all in or you're all out. There is no in-between anywhere. There is no in-between. Of course, we're never going to be perfect. Never will we, will we be perfect. But it's important for us to recognize our sin and to confess our sin and to repent from it. And Paul is telling us this morning that judging others is sinful. There is a judgment coming. God himself is the judge. So there is a judgment day coming, the day of the Lord. And Paul is telling us this morning that if we keep doing this, those who do this, they will not escape the judgment of God. They will not escape. And that's sad. It's sad because... Because we make ourselves be perceived as being perfect when deep inside of us we're not. And the, the, we do that because we're so, sometimes we're so, we're so, we feel so comfortable, we feel so good in our comfort. And anybody that does something that is, that is odd, something that, is, that, that does not go along with what we believe, it makes us comfortable and we tend to judge them. 
and it should not be like that. And so, going further in verses 3 through 4, it says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Just a couple of words that I'd like to highlight here. The word kindness, forbearance, and patience. These are very related words. Um, some of them are even synonyms. But forbearance, in, by definition, it means the quality of being patient and being able to f- forgive someone or control yourself in a, in a difficult situation. And so we see here, God is being, is being described as kind, forbearing, and patient in this passage. And we can look at our lives and agree that really, truly, God is patient. When I look at my life and I look at my past and the things I've done, and today I can say that I'm saved. I belong to Christ. I can say that I'm redeemed. Through faith in Christ, it's unbelievable. It sounds unbelievable. It does sound unbelievable. But God is patient. He is patient with us. And I'm not saying that I stop sinning. No, not by any stretch of imagination. I'm a sinner. I'm that sinner. But God is always patient with me. And with you too. There are so many things that we do to hurt God. And he's always patient with us. He's forbearing. And he's kind to us. And so the idea of kindness is this idea of goodness. God is good. And he's, he's, he's benevolent to us. And we can, we can, we can stand here and we can be here. We, I can say so many things that God Uh, so many characteristics of God that show that he's forbearing and he's kind and he's merciful. And we know all these things, but even with that, sometimes we tend to forget about them. We take them for granted and we just forget about them. But God created us and he knew for sure that we were going to cause him grief. He knew. There is nothing that surprises him. The choices that we make, they don't surprise him. We make all those choices, but he still wants us. He loves us. And he gave us Jesus, who came and died for us, so that we may have access to the kingdom of God. God loved us even though we were his enemies. And he says to us that we should love our enemies. And he gives himself as an, as, as an example. He loved us as his enemies. And he gave us his son to die on the cross. And when we look at us, we are selfish beings. We're immoral beings. We're sinful beings. We commit all sorts of sins. All sorts of sinful acts that we commit. But God still loves us. 
He shows his riches in kindness, forbearance, and patience. And we abuse God's kindness many times, right? We abuse it. And we know that God is kind and he's forbearing and he's, he's, he's patient and he's loving, he's gracious, and he has all these attributes, all these characteristics. And even though we know all these things, our tendency is to just rebel against him. We rebel against him. We abuse it. But his patience is endless. He still waits until the day that we're going to repent and actually give our lives completely to him and give our allegiance to him in its entirety. He's very patient with us. And the word riches, I believe we all have different concepts. We have different um, ways of defining the word rich. Um, what I consider rich might be different from what you consider rich. And when I, when I met my wife, Erica, back in Mozambique, uh, we were dating at the time, and in one of the conversations we had, she asked me, what, what's your vision for the future? What, you know, what, what do you foresee the future being as far as your life? I said, you know what? I want to be rich. <laughs> this is what I said to her. I want to be rich. And then she, I didn't notice it, but that bothered her a little bit. <laughs> and she thought, maybe this is not the guy. Maybe this is not the guy, right? And she told me this, you know, years after that, you know. Um, she told me. But when I said that, what I meant is different, is different from what she thought I meant. You know, my wife being from America, her concept of riches, of richness is, is different from me coming from Africa, right? In my mind, in, in my culture, there is so much poverty where I come from that somebody who has something to eat every day consistently is considered rich. And so in my mind, I want to be rich because I want to provide for my family. I, I don't want my family to go to bed without eating anything, to wake up in the morning and not know if they're ever going to eat anything that day. That's, that's, that was my concept of being rich, just being able to provide for my family. Now, regardless of your definition of being rich, regardless of my definition of being rich, when Paul says, the riches of his kindness, this riches here is the idea that God is endless, endlessly rich. There is no end to his riches. There is no end. We cannot even fathom that, right? We can't even imagine what that looks like. He's kind. He's so rich in kindness. He's so rich in forbearance. He's so rich in patience for our lives. He's so rich. We cannot even imagine that. And again, many times we abuse that. We abuse it. which is not good. It is not good. 
And so in verses 5 through 11, it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when, God, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who, by patience, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Now, on this short passage here, I'd like to highlight a couple words. There is a lot of giving that God is doing here. A lot of giving on the day of the Lord. In verse 7, he says, he will give. In verse 8, he says, there will be, because he will, he will make it happen. And in verse 10, he says, for everyone. So for everyone, there will be something. So he'll, he's going to be doing a lot of giving. And there are two categories of the things that God is going to be giving. Okay? So there is immortality, there is eternal life, and there is glory, honor, and peace. And those are going to be given to the people that have given their allegiance to Christ, people that have repented, that have given their lives to Jesus, people that are following Jesus. They'll be given this, immortality, eternal life, glory, honor, and peace. On the other hand, those who rebel against God, they'll be given the opposite. Tribulation and distress, wrath and fury. I don't know what you think about when you think of wrath and fury, but in my own life, when I think about wrath, one thing comes in my mind. I grew up at my sister's house, and her brother, uh, my brother-in-law, her husband, was a very angry man. Very angry man. When he started yelling, he would go on and on and on. He didn't hit anybody, but just his anger was, was manifested in yelling. And so when I, when, I, when I hear the word wrath and fury, that comes in my mind. But the truth is, for God, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And we're talking about eternity forever and ever and ever for the rest of, of the life. Eternal life. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you have given your allegiance to Christ, if you have faith in him, what God is going to give you is not going to be temporary. It's going to be forever and ever and ever. Worshiping him, living life with him. Now, those who do not believe in Christ, those, those who, have, who do not have faith in Christ, it's the other way around. They're going to have wrath, experience wrath of God, the fury of God, tribulation and distress forever and ever and ever. 
So in this passage, God is depicted as a judge. He's a judge, and a righteous one, and an impartial judge. I don't know, like when you think about a judge, for example, in my mind, when I think about a judge, I think about a courthouse, okay? I think about a courthouse where the judge is going to make the decision. And that decision, at least here on earth, that decision is not guaranteed to be fair. It's not guaranteed to be, to be righteous or what we expect it to be based on evidence. There have been situations in, in life where, you know, I thought something was going to be judged a, cer- a certain way, but it ended up being ruled differently. In fact, in the month of December this year, uh, last year, my wife and I went to a hearing in Canton, and there was a judge in there, and there were attorneys in the courtroom, uh, lawyers in there, and there were the defendants and, and all that, and we were there. And what I want to highlight is the fact that the lawyers that were in there, they were trying to defend the defendants. They were trying to defend somebody. Both of them were trying to defend somebody. Actually, there were three of, there was three of them. The three of them were trying to defend somebody. They were trying to be right about something. Okay? They were trying to convince the judge to rule in their favor. Now, when we see here this passage that says that God rules and he's going to judge impartially, there is nobody that is going to convince God. God is not going to need evidence from anyone. God is not going to need an attorney from anywhere. He's not going to need a lawyer from anywhere to defend us. He won't need any of that because he's omniscient and he knows everything. He knows everything about our lives. So he doesn't need those things. So when we see here that God is impartial in his judgment, that might cause us to squirm a little bit, right? To sweat a little bit, right? Because he knows. He knows our lives. Even in those moments that we think we're not judging, but we still judge, he knows that. And you might be thinking, but what kind of God is that? Yes, that is the God that we serve. That is the God that we worship. He's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's he's kind, he's forbearing, but also he has wrath. He has fury. And what I want to tell you this morning is you don't have to fear. If you truly trust in the Lord, that wrath has been poured on Christ himself. It's been poured on Christ. And today you're justified through Christ. But God is who he is. He's a righteous judge. And that is a part of God that we many times we struggle with, right? Because we expect a God to be loving, to be kind, and to be merciful, and so on and so forth. But the minute we start hearing about judgment, and, you know, punishment, that makes us uncomfortable. 
just makes us, you know, want to cry and go out, right? And go away, go home. Because we don't, we don't expect that from God. In the book of, in the book of um, Exodus, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, there is, there is a description of God given by God himself to Moses. He said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity. For the fathers, on the, children's, on the children and ch children's children, to the third and the fourth generations. So this is a description that we're given here by God himself telling Moses. And it's important for us to remember in which context this, this description is given. Moses and the people of Israel were at the Mount Sinai. Okay, They had just left Egypt and they went all the way up to Mount Sinai and they camped. And right there, Moses is called by God to go up to the mountain, to the top of the mountain to talk to God. While he's there, the Israelites, together with Aaron, they, they make this, you know, uh, golden calf, and they start worshiping him, worshiping it, and they start, you know, feasting and all that. When Moses comes back, he sees that, he becomes angry, and God is angry as well. And what happens then is a huge tragedy. All those people that were engaged in that, in those festivities, in those, you know, celebrations of whatever they were celebrating, they died. They lost their lives right there. That was God's fury, right? It was God's fury. And so Moses sees that and he's like, oh God, what is happening here? Lord, I want to know you. He asks God, I want to know you. And so God reveals himself through this message. He describes himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, abounding, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Okay, when we hear this, what comes in our mind? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. We love that, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's the God that I want. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. Abounding in love. That's what we want to hear. But then the passage takes, takes this sudden turn and he talks about punishing our fathers, punishing children, visiting their iniquity, punishing the, chil punishing the children's children. What does that mean? Does that mean that he's going to punish me for the sin of my parents and my grandparents? Is that what it means? You know, stuff like that. You know, those descriptions about God, they make us fear, right? They make us tremble. They make us shiver. But it's the description about God that we're serving. This is the God that we're serving. So what it means it's not necessarily that I'm, that I'm going to pay for the sins of my grandparents or my parents. What it means is, whatever I do today, one day I'm going to give account 
to God for that. My children, they are going to give an account to God for their own sin. My grandparents will do the same throughout the generations. That is what it means. And so this God that we serve, while he loves us, he also has wrath. He also has fury. And like I said earlier, the only way for us to to not go through his fury and mercy is through Christ. Only through Christ. He has given us a way out. He died for us. And today, he counts us as righteous. God counts us as righteous before him because of, because of Christ. Our guilt is forgiven. The sins that we commit are forgiven through him. Past, present, and future. But that does not mean that, does not mean that we have to ignore what he teaches us. It doesn't. He does have wrath. God is not going to need witnesses in that judgment day, on the day of the Lord. He himself knows everything, and he is going to judge everyone according to what they have done. And we, you and I, are sitting here this morning, or maybe you're thinking, so I... I've been judgmental to other people. I have been in the past, and I still am to people. What then? What am I going to do? The answer is just repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. And there is always forgiveness in Christ. Just be earnest. Be honest with him. In your in your, uh, in your life, as you live this life, there is going to be those moments because you're never going to be perfect. You will never be perfect. I will never be perfect. Nobody, nobody, none of us will ever be perfect. But there is freedom in Christ. There is freedom. And this freedom that he gives us, we shouldn't look at, uh, take it for granted. We should not take it for granted. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I close. And I'd like to challenge you this morning as I close here to kind of meditate um, in your life the ways in which you have been judgmental to other people either this week or sometime in the past, the things that have led you to be uncomfortable because of your, you know, judgmental mentality, um, just meditate through that and ask God for forgiveness because it's only him that can forgive you for those things. It's only he who can, who can pardon us from whatever it is that we, we're struggling with. And if this is a struggle for you, if judging other people is a struggle for you, there is a way out. And that way out is Christ.
we can be at Christ's feet and just worship him and ask him to forgive us. And he is faithful to do the same. He'll forgive us of our sin. Amen. We can trust that he, he is faithful enough to forgive us. And like he says in the word, you know, our sin is so far. Is so far. He, when he forgives our sin, he forgives it as far the west is from the east. And that is how merciful, that's how kind God is. That is how merciful he is. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're a kind God. That you, you're benevolent, you're merciful, and you're gracious. We, think that, we thank you that we, we worship you, a God of that nature. So I just pray this morning that my brothers and sisters and I, whatever it is that we're struggling with, God, I just pray that you would convict our hearts, that we would be sincere with you, and that we confess our sin to you because we know that you're faithful to forgive us. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And as we leave this place, God, this morning, I pray that you will be with us. This heart of conviction, Lord, that it will be with us throughout the week and throughout the rest of our lives, Lord. That we will live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that is glorifying to your name, Lord. We love you and we worship you this morning, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.